From Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. Here we are rocking it for another great edition of the Automotive ADHD Show. My name is Matt West, here to talk about cars, car sounds, all sorts of things that are automotive, of course. That's that's why that's in the name. Now, this is a very, very packed show. I say that a lot. Because they, all the shows tend to be pretty packed. That's what you get when you come here. But do have a lot of stuff to uh, get to. Uh, firstly, Ford, they're stepping up their game to stop crazy dealer markups. Uh, they, they were already trying. Now they're trying harder, especially with the uh, F-150 Lightnings coming out. And uh, dealers already advertising those for $100,000 over sticker. Also, going to talk about my thoughts on the new Nissan Z. I have talked about it a little bit in the past, but Nissan is now giving cars to uh, journalists, and we're seeing some great press coverage on it. We're seeing some great firsthand uh, reviews of the car, and it's given me some extra thoughts on it. And more importantly, we're going to talk about how that compares with the new Supra. Yeah, and why it might it, it might kill the Supra. I have a I have a strong feeling it very well could. It's a really well thought out car. So we're going to talk about that. And finally, one other amazing thing we're going to talk about is a huge advancement in technology. It's honestly incredible. Uh, there's a company that has created a NASCAR that can be driven with your mind, and they just did a test lap at the Pikes Peak International Raceway earlier this uh, weekend. Of course, that's just in my own backyard uh, here in Colorado, and uh, they're making some really big headlines with it. It's local, it's here in Colorado, and I get to tell you about it, which is very cool. Uh, Honestly, this is probably one of the coolest things that combines medical science and uh, cars and racing. And this is a really big deal for people who've also, uh, experienced like spinal cord injuries and things like that. Also going to have some audio to play you as well, uh, from that. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Of course, we're also going to play your car sounds right here on the show. Now, before we, we talk about that, I have to, I have to talk about the foot of snow that I'm currently under. And yeah, those, those of you in the U S are like snow. I thought it was like the end of May. Yeah, I missed out on a track day today, which is fine. That is fine. But what I I missed out, they canceled it because we got dumped on out of nowhere with a foot of snow yesterday and today. It's been snowing through the day as well. It's been cold. And this is a very Colorado thing, in my opinion, uh, that like, OK, end of May. Here's a foot of snow. And I'm not kidding when I mean a foot of snow. If you want to see exactly how much snow I'm talking about. Uh, I've got a video posted up on the Automotive ADHD Facebook page as well as the uh, Automotive ADHD TikTok. Yeah, I'm doing that thing now. You can also find that Automotive ADHD on TikTok. Got some fun videos up there of me working in the shop, doing some fun stuff, and of course, the snow. So, uh, yeah, it was funny as I had someone comment on that TikTok page. Someone from Norway who said, Hi, from Norway. It's uh, 80 degrees and beautiful here. Thought I'd let you know. You know it's bad when Norway is warmer. (laughs) Just saying. When Norway is having better weather weather than you are. Yeah, yeah, that's how you know. That's how you know it's bad. But nonetheless, it is a great excuse to stay in the garage, get more things done. 
That, of course, is uh, what I have been doing. Now, anyway, ladies, gentlemen, Nissan uh, Z32s. Let's talk about, before we get into anything else, this is really cool. A Kia Sorento hit 600,000 miles the other day. And that's making some that's making some news because it's a Kia Sorento, and quite frankly, I think no one expected it to hit six hundred thousand miles. You know, it's one of those things when a Toyota hits six hundred thousand miles, it goes unnoticed. No one cares. Yeah, they they do that all the time. When they hit a million miles, cool, you get into the little Toyota Million Mile Club. No big deal. Oh, this Kia though, six hundred thousand miles. Uh, this is uh, a hat tip, by the way, to Peter Holdereth from the Drive, and uh, he uh, reported on this first. Apparently, the owner of this car—it is a 2012 Kia Sorento—and the owner of it, when he bought the car new, uh, he bought that uh, that that he bought a 10-year unlimited mile warranty. At the dealership. Now, if you're always wondering, you know, hmm, should I get the extra warranty? And people usually opt out of it because the initial cost of it is pretty high. And usually, you usually don't end up needing that 10-year extended warranty. But uh, this guy did. And it had this car, all right, had 20 transmission flushes, four transmissions, nine engines in 10 years this car went through nine engines, four transmissions, 203 oil changes, and that is incredible. And the warranty just expired uh, this year, and uh, the uh, owner of this car, by the way, uh, just traded it in with the warranty expiring. I don't blame him. I don't blame him. So, uh, <laughs> like, you got this car that you went through nine engines on, 10 years, nine engines. That's almost an engine every single year what are you doing with this car that you're blowing an engine every single year oh i don't know maybe it's it might just be a kia could just be a kia thing i don't know uh but yeah this guy uh drove it a lot and he was religious with his oil changes if you do the math you do the mileage he had his oil changes every 2995 miles which is well within the recommended oil change uh, intervals. And uh, so you can't say, oh, the dude abused it. He never changed his oil. Nope. Nope. He changed his oil 203 times. Now, there's no way to say how he drove it. You know, maybe he was banging off the rev limiter every single day in this thing, driving it like he stole it. But you have the 10-year unlimited warranty. So, you know, why wouldn't you? Just <laughs> just throwing that out there. And, um, yeah, apparently, according to the... Uh, guy who uh, initially um, uh, uh, talked about this at the dealership, who talked to the drive about it, um, they said the guy, the owner of the car, had a habit of making trips from California um, to Minneapolis several times, all the time. The dude usually made that trip for, for whatever reason. You know what? You know what? It's fine. It's fine. Uh, that's one of those things. You, <laughs> you buy that 10-year warranty, you better get every penny out of it. And the dealership here totally lost money on this warranty. No, I'm just saying. I'm just throwing that out there. So now speaking of dealerships, uh, let's move from Kia dealerships, because there's nothing really interesting at a Kia dealership, to Ford dealers. Okay, so Ford has been having issues with dealership markups. This has been a present and pressing problem. Uh, it has been a problem for years, but they have had issues with this, uh, you know, even more so as of late with the new Bronco, uh, especially that. I mean, you know, the, the problem is 
when you have dealership markups, you have dealerships who say, okay, we have a new car. We got the new Bronco. Uh, the MSRP is XYZ. I don't know, say $45,000. I'm not quoting the actual MSRP of the Bronco, but just for an example there. Uh, say it's $45,000. Well, this car is in a lot of demand, so uh, we're going to bump the price up to one hundred and twenty k yeah, and see if anyone buys it. And then someone does buy it, of course, which encourages the dealer to do this more and more. Uh, and uh, this becomes a problem. Now, a few months back, Ford created a program that would incentivize, incentivize dealers to not do this. And uh, apparently it hasn't worked. They threatened dealers. They threatened dealers basically with the punishment that they would receive uh, fewer allocations if they started doing this. Well, that clearly didn't dissuade them from doing it because the new F-150 Lightning is coming out. People have pre-orders for it. Dealerships are advertising allocations uh, in prices exceeding $100,000 for the new Lightning, which, uh, yeah, that's uh, substantial. That's substantially higher than the MSRP of, uh, of that vehicle. And uh, dealers, again, are just like, are, is anyone surprised that a car dealership is doing something sketchy? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think anyone is surprised by that. But, um, of course, it is, in my opinion, bad manners as a car dealer, but it's also bad for the manufacturer. Uh, it is bad for Ford and their public image, right? Because the dealerships represent Ford. Dealerships are privately owned more often than not. and But they are licensed and they have a contract with the manufacturer to receive uh, allocations, to receive cars, to receive things, and to have the Ford badge on their sign. They are the Ford dealer in your small town of whatever, right? So even though they're privately owned in many cases, they represent Ford. Uh, and Ford has to has to manage this because it looks bad on Ford as a manufacturer when their dealer XYZ Joe Schmo's dealership is offering this product that they sell for an insane price tag. You know, two sometimes two to even three times the MSRP. That looks bad on Ford, even though Ford's not the one doing it. And not to mention, Ford gets upset, I would imagine. Well, Ford as a collective entity, but I would imagine they're not very happy because they don't make any money on the extra amount that the dealer is charging for the vehicle. Ford gets their flat rate that they charge, their the the base amount of profit they get from each vehicle when it sells. The dealership is 100% profiting that extra markup. So it doesn't do well for the manufacturer. It looks bad for the manufacturer. It tarnishes the manufacturer's reputation with customers. When customers say, oh, screw Ford, I can't buy any of their stuff. Well, no, really screw the dealer. But again, the dealer is still the face of the company, whether or not they're privately owned. So this is a problem. Now, what Ford is doing to step up their game now and prevent some of these dealership markups, because threatening a uh, you know reduction in allocations clearly wasn't enough. I'm sure some dealers did the math and said, yeah, well, so what if we miss out on an allocation or two? We're selling this for four times the MSRP and we're going to make more money anyway. So screw it. We'll just we'll just take the penalty and mark this up. Uh, so what they're doing now is they are implementing a system where 75% of the cars ordered by the dealers, the dealer puts the order into the manufacturer, right? They put it into Ford to receive a car to get approved for an allocation. Well, now 75% of those orders have to actually have a customer's name attached to it, meaning it has to be a real customer with an ID who's actually buying a car. Uh, and that means the dealer can't just you know, place in a bunch of orders and allocations. Oh, we're just going to spec one of these out 
as a dealership vehicle, and then we're going to stick it on the lot with a $100,000 price tag on the window to get some poor chump coming by who wants one, right? So it's going to prevent them from doing that. It's going to actually mean these orders, too. They're going to have a system implemented to verify that the orders are going to actual people, right? Now, part of me, all right, to, to be the devil's advocate here, part of me says, well, this is a free market. You can buy a product and you can sell it and do whatever you want with it. So what, you know? If the market bears it, let it be. But this is kind of an abuse of the system, right? You can make that argument that, you know, in a in a capitalistic sort of way, this is just capitalism working. And if people are willing to pay three times MSRP, then let them pay it. But fundamentally, again, you, you bring this back to a reputation concern with the dealership. But also, um, you know, this is something that is just contrary to buying a car and actually you know, being able to purchase it. Like, what's the point in setting an MSRP if no one is going to adhere to the MSRP? And again, we're not talking a couple thousand dollar dealer markup. You know, that's the dealer has to make their money in some way. No matter what you do, the dealer is marking up a car from what they pay for it through the manufacturer. No, no matter what, the dealer has to keep their lights on. That is how they operate. We accept that as a extra cost of being able to buy a car new from a dealership in person, obviously. But when that markup again is exceeding is, you know, a hundred percent, 200%, 300% of the MSRP, that's when the system is broken and it's not working. So I do support Ford in preventing dealers from doing this, uh, even though it goes against the sort of, you know, well, it's a free capitalist society, sell it for however much you want. Because I will also say on that topic that part of the problem is the people buying the cars. Uh, again, if, if no one was buying the cars for several times at the MSRP, then the dealers wouldn't be able to sell it for that. They would put the sticker on the window, yeah, Ford Lightning, 150K, when it really should be like, what, you know, 50K or whatever, right? So three times the MSRP. Um, well, if no one, literally no one say, buys that, they all say, oh, that's stupid. Why would I pay 150K for this thing? Why, why would I do that? That's ridiculous. And then they don't do it. Well, the dealership is going in order to make money. They're going to have to be forced to lower the price in order to sell that thing, because it doesn't matter if they've got it valued at 150,000, if they can't sell it for that, they don't make that money. So they would stand to make more money selling it at a lower price and just, you know, selling it than sitting on it and waiting for that. But the problem is people, it's social media influencers, many of them who buy these cars, who've got money to burn, and they buy these cars because they want to be the first person with the new Bronco, with the new Lightning, with the new XYZ car that's coming out that's really hyped. They have to be the first in order to be a social media influencer and get clicks and make money. They're part of the problem. And obviously, um, non-social media influencers who just have money to burn and say, yeah, I want to be the first to have this car. Oh, it's 50K? Well, you're selling it to me for 150? I don't care. I just want to be the first. I'll buy it. People buying it are also part of the problem. So what Ford is now doing to uh, dealers as well who still continue to violate the, uh, uh, the markup rules that the manufacturer is setting is there also so that you have that 75% name match policy where the name has to go to an actual person ordering it. Now that leaves 25% of vehicles that the dealership can order to have as showroom examples and have there. They do need to have that. You can't have 100% of these be customer only orders, but um, they are also going to um, increase the punishment for breaking the rule 
which would be that dealers would have to forfeit a month's worth of their allocations. Um, and at three violations, dealers would be kicked out of the entire thing and would get zero allocations ever again. They'd just be, nope, no more Broncos for you, no more Ford Lightnings for you, nothing. And then the dealer's really not going to make any money if they're not selling anything. So, you know, that's a bit of a problem. Hopefully it doesn't get to be that extreme, and uh, hopefully this does curb on some of the insane MSRPs. The car market's already jacked up as is, so it is good, in my opinion, to see a little bit of assistance from the manufacturer so that, you know, you can actually buy a vehicle at MSRP. I don't know. <laughs> Imagine that. Now, hey, I got more good stuff coming up. Talking the new Z car and how it compares to the Supra. That's next. Every day, thousands go without the ability to buy necessary and life-saving parts. Parts like turbos, coilovers, and wheels. I'm Steve Turbocharge BRZ. It doesn't run because I can play with my connecting rod through the hole in my block. Project cars sit unfinished, waiting for parts, collecting dust. My name is Todd, and I bought a rotary. It's okay, bro. We'll uh, swap it. But no more. You, yes you, can make a difference. For as little as $5 per month, you can put an end to Project Cars suffering and support your favorite podcast. Patreon.com slash ThrottleWarrior. Donate now and receive special perks. Sponsored by Autoholics Anonymous and the Speed Council. Yeah, there we go. Trying out some new bumper music as well. Goes great with those car sounds of uh, Brad Stapp's 1991 Dodge W250 with a Cummins 12 valve. And uh, Brad is just killing it with the car sounds, sending a bunch of them in. Of course, Brad, I want to thank you for doing that. Now, he says the truck is lightly modified uh, with just some basic tune-up stuff. But I don't know, man. <laughs> that Truck looks like it's got enough torque to turn the planet the other way around. So, gotta love those Cummins diesels. We love our diesel brothers here. I don't give diesel guys enough love on the show, but we do love our brothers that burn a different type of fuel. But anyway, uh, before we talk about the Z car and how it stacks up with the Supra and how there is a company making race cars for paraplegics now that you can drive with your mind. This is cool. Before we talk about that, I've got a quick note of housekeeping. Uh, just uh, something for you as a listener of the show to be aware of that I'm going to be adjusting the schedule in which I post this, just bumping it ever so slightly. It's going to be going up Sundays now for Patreon members, and it's going to go up Mondays for regular subscribers. Now, I do keep tabs on my analytics, and I know a lot of folks listen Monday mornings going in on that Monday morning commute anyway. So I don't think this is going to be a very big change for you. Uh, and this is going to allow me to kind of spread out my schedule, have a little more time to put into the show. Uh, and with everything that I've got going on, you, you don't want to see what my calendar look like looks like every week. It is packed. So I want to be able to make sure I'm putting enough time into the show, giving you a good show. That's what this is all about. So that's going to be going in as uh, effective as of this episode, I think. So uh, anyway, just a quick note of housekeeping there. Of course, if you do want to get the show early, you can, of course, check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash throttle warrior. I'm going to be doing a couple of cool things on there that are going to post this week, like a shop tour, giving you a little tour of the shop and the project cars, as well as a studio tour 
this is going to be fun. Just give you a little behind-the-scenes look into the show. Maybe associate a face with the voice. I don't know if you really want to see my face. I don't know. They say face for radio. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but anyway, that'll be on the Patreon. Whether or not you want to see it, it's going to be there. And uh, and also, if you if you just have to get your automotive ADHD fix in a little bit early if you're in southern colorado you can tune into the show 91.7 klzr that is on saturday mornings at 10 30 and uh, also of course the tiktok yeah i was i was talking about that i i have the tiktok now and it feels weird to say tiktok like one of those gen zers but anyway i have that on there got some really cool stuff keep tabs on the show when uh, between episodes so anyway before we talk about the new z car i do want to mention nissan has a interesting tribute so they are doing the east african safari rally right now and they are uh there's a you know, famously they ran a nissan 240z an old 19 uh, 71 model way back in the day with a very characteristic livery on it, an interesting, you know, sort of design with the livery on the car. Well, they have wanted, they, they've decided to pay homage to the original Z car that ran the rally way back over 50 years ago now with a Nissan Juke. Yeah, let that settle in. The Nissan Juke, the most widely hated Nissan, I would say, of all time, is what they're running in the rally. Now, the new, the current model Juke looks a little better than the weird bug-eyed one that everyone likes to make fun of. But it doesn't look much better. But they've applied the original livery from the old car to the new car, paying homage to it. Yes, this is the Nissan Z lineage, as they have said. But it has me wondering. It has me scratching my head. Because they're using this Nissan Juke for the rally, when they to pay homage to the Nissan Z, when they already have a new Nissan Z. In fact, they are wanting to promote their new Z car. They've been sending it out to journalists. We're going to talk about it and how it stacks up in real life with the Supra. We'll, we'll get to that. But but first, I mean, if I was Nissan and I was saying, all right, we got this big rally and we want to do, we want to pay homage to our old car, our old rally car that was famous for it. We're going to redo the livery. We're going to do the same number on the door, you know, number 11, like, why wouldn't I use the new Z car that I now have as a company that I am trying to promote that, hey, we have a new one. It's the first one in years. Why wouldn't I use that? For th I don't know. They picked the juke of all things. I don't know. Maybe it has something to do. Something, something. Ground clearance. It's a rally car. Come on. I, I, I've heard that as an excuse that, well, the juke just has better ground clearance. Well, they were running a Nissan Z car before. I mean, maybe the all-wheel drive system. The only thing I could give them credit for saying is, that it would be too, too difficult to develop a bespoke all-wheel drive system for the rally car. Yeah, I guess. I guess. But it would be it would be cooler. Come on. A Nissan Juke just doesn't... I mean, I'm looking at a picture of it. It, it looks kind of like a Stormtrooper helmet, I guess is the best way I can put it. It does, like I said, they did away with the, the bulbous bug-eye headlights on top of the fender. Technically, those weren't the headlights on those cars. The headlights were the big fog lamps in the, in the bumper. But, um, I, I mean, it looks better but can you really polish a turd i mean they tried they tried <laughs> i'll give them that and uh, that said the rally car itself is you know it's not that bad i mean it's uh you know all-wheel drive got some aggressive tires on it probably gets it in the dirt i'm sure it's plenty of fun to uh to drive and it has a um not a huge amount of power 260 horsepower but they're limited by the class that they're racing in and all these other things it does have a mild hybrid system yeah, okay, it's just, it's not the, 
it's it's sorry it's not the original i can't i can't stress that enough now let's talk about that original car though because um the original z car right the nissan 240z then subsequently the 260z the 280z sold throughout the 70s here in the united states so internationally it's known as the nissan fairlady z uh i mean is a classic car in fact it has one of the best proportions of any sports car in my opinion it has some of the most classically designed body lines the proportions of the the hood to the rear i mean it's it's a beautiful car in a traditional sense. I mean, it's only second, in my opinion, and this will ruffle some feathers, to the, toy, the Toyota 2000 GT, which I think the Toyota 2000 GT stands as, as being one of the most beautiful cars ever created by man. And I don't care. Porsche and Ferrari and Jaguar can suck it. No, the Porsche 2000 GT is just superior from an aesthetic perspective. That is that is my opinion. I'm not a biased when it, I'm not biased at all when it comes to Toyotas. <laughs> you know, uh, listeners, regular listeners of the show know that I have zero bias towards Toyota. <laughs> I can't say that with a straight face, can I? But uh, yeah, I only own like three of them, but whatever. Uh, that said, um, uh, the the Z is a, is a classic car, right? So we've got the new Z that has come out now. And it was had a lot of hype when the prototype was unveiled last year or actually Gosh, almost two years ago now. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of hype around it. Like, ooh, it's coming back. It's got some really cool retro styling. The front end looks like the original 240Z. The back end looks with the taillights. Looks super kind of 80s and retro with these bar taillights. Looks a lot like, well, not 80s, sorry, 90s, uh, early 90s. Um, like the uh, Z32 Nissan, which would be the uh, 300ZX. Uh, here in the States. And uh, yeah, it's got some great retro styling cues. If anything, the Ford Bronco has proven is that the modern retro look uh, is definitely in style. It absolutely is. And I think it's a good thing. Uh, but, you know, it looks great. But importantly, it's got a twin turbo six. Uh, ver I suppose it's a version of the VQ. It's used in some other Infinity products, has been for a while. But it's a twin turbo six, made it up to a manual transmission oh yes that is amazing that is fantastic because uh, i mean look what didn't have a manual for several years the toyota supra and that's what we're going to kind of compare this to the toyota supra didn't have a manual transmission until there was so much outcry that finally a couple of years later toyota says okay okay just shut up we'll give you a manual already shut up about it <laughs> All right, fine, fine. So that's good. But you know what's interesting is the new Z car shares a lot of its platform with the previous Z car, the 370Z. The body, the frame, a lot of the chassis components are the same. And even the, the door cards are the same, the door shape. Well, it's been redesigned a little bit, but structurally, it's all the same stuff underneath there. And when the prototype came out a little while back, you could even see this. When you look at the positioning of some of the air vents and the door panels on the inside photos of the car, you can see, yeah, they're using a lot of the same stuff here. They've just kind of reskinned it a little bit to make it look different. And this is how Nissan has gotten around the problem where Toyota said it is not fiscally possible to make a new sports car uh, in, in today's climate, the way car buyers buy things, it's not possible. So that's why Toyota had to team up with Subaru for the, you thought I was going to say BMW, I'll get to that, but they had to team up with Subaru for the, um, the, uh, uh, GT86, uh, the FRS and the BRZ, and now the new one, the GR86, 
again, FRS and GR86BRZ is, is gone. But that said, um, you know, they had to do that to team up and, you know, offset some of those development costs, and it worked great. They did the same thing with the Supra, with BMW. The BMW Supra, I mean the Toyota Supra, um, is a culmination of uh, development from both Toyota and BMW. Now, it's more of a BMW than it is a Toyota, but Toyota did a lot of their own suspension tuning and chassis development, and they designed the body on theirs, and I think that's fine. It's a good car. Is it going to have BMW reliability problems? Well, it's got a BMW drivetrain, so I don't know. You tell me. But um, that said, Nissan has made the new Z car entirely as their own product. It is a Japanese car. It is truly a Nissan. They didn't partner with anyone else to do it. And it's a, honestly, you know, they did that. They were able to offset development costs by kind of using the same platform. That's fine. We'll give them credit for that because they didn't use the same engine. They haven't done that. The engine is absolutely different. And uh, the styling is very different. The body is very different. And it, it works, you know. Okay, so what if the frame of the body is a little dated? I mean, if you were going to make a new one, the frame would be really no different. It has the same goals as the, you know, previous generation of being a sports car and being rigid. And it has all these same goals. So in this case, I do see Nissan's, uh, I, I do see their reasoning behind this. You know, why reinvent the wheel? Let's innovate where we need to. Let's innovate in the drivetrain. You know, it, it needs innovation there. The old model, the outgoing model is slow. It's naturally aspirated. It doesn't meet emissions anymore and all of this stuff. Okay, let's innovate there. Let's innovate with the styling. Let's innovate with the aerodynamics, the interior, the electronics, some of that stuff. So, yeah, in a sense, it is, yeah, in some ways, it's kind of a rebuilt version of the old car, but in other ways, it's totally new. And I think that's great. And, you know, initial tests have shown uh, journalists have finally gotten their hands on them. Road and Track, uh, Haggerty, Jason Camisa did a fantastic breakdown of a drag race between the new Supra and the Z car. Uh, also love Jason Camisa's stuff in general. He's snarky and he's hilarious and he's great. <laughs> he's underrated if you haven't if you haven't seen his stuff through uh, Haggerty. But um, that said, you know it has done well. And it has, you know, it's got 400 horsepower-ish. It's got a manual transmission. It's a sports car. We don't have enough of those. And in, what's also incredible is that Nissan has been able to develop this entire thing during the whole Carlos uh, Gozen scandal. The whole scandal with, you know, that's a whole nother can of worms on its own. But they have been dealing with some massive scandal within the management of their company, which is... Uh, you know, caused Carlos Gozen to flee the country. He fled Japan. Uh, you know, it's been, that has been a huge debacle that has massively, I think, hurt Nissan's reputation in the business world. And they've been able to develop this car despite that. And I think that's great. I think that's fantastic. Now, how does it stack up? Let's talk some numbers. How does it stack up with the Z, the Z and the Supra? How do they compare? Because what I find really interesting is the base model Nissan Z has the same drivetrain as the top trim model. You get the same engine, the same horsepower, regardless of which trim you get. So you get the base model, which comes in, and, and Nissan totally did this on purpose, and I'll explain why. But uh, you get the base model, which is $41,015 before destination fees and all that stuff, right? So you have that. It's got 400 horsepower at 6,400 RPM, 350 pound-feet of torque, from 1,600 to 5,200 RPM. That is a massive range of steady torque. 
Uh, this is absolutely the opposite of a high-strung engine that only makes peak power in one little spot. This has usable torque. It's going to feel great to the driver. The butt dyno, if you will, you're <laughs> driving the car, your feel of the car is going to be great because you feel that torque and it's a really broad power band, 1600 to 5200 RPM. So that's good. Uh, it weighs about 34 to 3,600 pounds, depending on which trim you get. So yeah, this is going to be really fun. And then there's fuel economy numbers in here, and we don't care about that. But um, compare that to the Toyota Supra. The base model comes in at $44,000, so $3,000 more than the, um, the Z. But when you get the base model, you only get the 2-liter 4-cylinder. The Supra has two drivetrain options. You get the 2-liter 4-cylinder in the base model. Then you can step up and get the 6-cylinder, uh, the 3-liter turbocharged 6-cylinder. But guess what? That's like a $8,000 bump in price. And that's not even with other options. That's just, you know, with the base model optioned with the 3-liter is eight grand more. As these cars are really rolling out of the factory, they're... They usually have a lot more options, and on average, they're going for like $57,000. So compare that. The base Model Z gives you 400 horsepower and a six-cylinder with turbos, okay? You you have that, and and you have that for $41,000 compared to the Supra, where you, you don't have that. I mean, to get that sort of horsepower, to get the horsepower, by the way, the six-cylinder in the Supra makes 382 horsepower at 6,500 RPM. And the torque, the power band, 368 pound-feet of torque between 1,800 and 5,000 RPM. Fairly similar power band when it comes to the torque. Um, and a little bit more torque at that power. That's That's fine. But you're practically speaking, you have two drivetrains that are very similar. Okay, 382 versus 400, 350 torque versus 368. They're very similar, and, uh, and and that's one of the things where it's like, okay, so to get that similar performance out of the Super, you got to spend fifty, at least fifty-two thousand dollars, if not more. So the the Z has a clear benefit when it comes to performance. For price, your bang for your buck is going to be massively better for the Z car. There's just no way to get around that. And uh, the the Z car, okay, maybe has a little bit more dated of an interior. It's still got some modern stuff. I would argue, and having been around a couple of the newer Supras, the interiors are very nice. And that's part of BMW's influence because BMW makes luxury cars. They do that. The interiors on the Supras are very nice. I don't like the layout of the interior much, but the actual quality of it, Feels great. Feels great. So, um, and the Z, you got a basically a nicer version of what was already in the outgoing Z with some nicer leather and trim stuff. That's okay. That's fine. But still, I think when you compare these cars on paper and when you compare them in a drag race, they're very, very close. They're very similar. And I think what's going to happen here, and I'm not the first person to say this, but what I think is going to happen is the Z, the base model Z, with the manual transmission, with the 400 horsepower twin turbo six for $41,000 is literally going to decimate any sales that Toyota was hoping to get for their base model. I mean, BMW, Toyota, BM, Toyota, BM, Yoda. I don't know. They're going to des it's going to decimate any sales they were planning to get from their base model Supra with the two liter four cylinder, which is again, 44,000. It's still more expensive. Yeah. You get the look of the Supra, you get the interior quality, but when that car drives by, Everyone 
everyone is going to be listening. And oh, 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 it's okay. Yeah, it's the four cylinder. Okay, which is fine. I mean, the four cylinder is a good engine. Uh, and in fact, in some racing applications, the four cylinder makes more sense because uh, of its weight distribution and balance. That makes a lot more sense in those cases. So, yeah, there's a purpose for that. But I think for the general public buying these cars, the average enthusiast who's got a $50,000 hole in their pocket burning from the money that's in their pocket, you could say, um, the Z's a better bang for your buck. Every single way you look at it. And it's a tried and true platform. Yeah, they reuse the platform from the 370, but that's been around for forever now. That's been around for over a decade, and it's been proven to be very, I won't say very reliable, but pretty darn reliable. Parts availability is massive. The aftermarket support is huge. Comes with a manual transmission, which the Supra is now going to ship with a manual, but that's now, after a while. And not to mention um, the, the performance. It's just, it's just better. It is just better. And it's also a car made entirely by Nissan. There's no BMW involved in it. No outside factors. It is just one OEM making that car. I think in this case, the Nissan wins. As much of a Toyota fan as I am, I think the Nissan wins this one. It'll be interesting once we see more of these on the road. Anyway, I got more good stuff coming up in just a minute. We're talking about driving a car with your brain. At the Speed Council, getting things done fast is our priority. We do everything fast, from driving, working, sleeping, and eating. Someone help, he's choking! This is Tim. Hello. And by the time this ad is over, he'll have bicycled across the earth 69 times. Nice. Even if our name sounds unfamiliar, you know our work. F1? Pfft, child's play. The world's first supersonic jet? Yep. That was us. Apollo 11? Also us. The fastest animal in the sea? Hell, we even wrote the Wikipedia article. Fast. And we're so dedicated to speed that we've genetically engineered the world's first hyperspeed speed machine. With this scientific breakthrough, you can download your favorite automotive podcast a whole day early. How's that for fast? Patreon.com slash Throttle Warrior. Donate now. Download the show early and receive special perks. This message approved by the Speed Council and the Church of Fast Things. There we go. Rocketed for the Automotive ADHD show, the third segment. That is Tyler's C6 Corvette ripping it. Oh, that is some good stuff. If you've got those car sounds, you want to share them. Come on, I know you do. Send them in to facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. Matt at throttlewarrior.com is the email address. Of course, I am Matt West here to talk about cars. And I got some science stuff, too. We're talking a little bit about science, a little bit about cars all sorts of fun. So this was um, sent in initially by a listener of the show, but it's something that's happening uh, that happened rather locally here in Colorado, just in my own backyard at the Pikes Peak International Raceway. And uh, there's a company called uh, Falci Adaptive Motorsports, F-A-L-C-I, Falci. And what they do is they develop race cars that the... Uh, that folks with uh, spinal cord injuries uh, and disabilities can drive. And this is really, really cool because um, 
I mean, you know, this not only allows folks who've experienced a terrible injury or something like that to experience motorsports, but this also has a big scientific ramification for all sorts of things in technology. Namely, they have built a race car. They partnered with the uh, Furniture Row NASCAR team, uh, which Furniture Row also uh, comes out of uh, here in Colorado. And uh, the uh, Falchi Motorsports, uh, Adaptive Motorsports, they're based in Denver, Colorado. And uh, what they did is they've adapted this car now to be driven by brainwaves. And it is being driven by a guy, and I'm going to apologize in advance for my pronunciation of his name. I'll, I'll try my best here, but his name is Herman Aldana Zuniga, and uh, he was uh, paralyzed when he was 16 years old in a car crash. So he has uh, no use of his arms or his legs. And uh, what they were able to do was create a brain implant uh, where that communicates from his brain, goes down to a computer that's underneath his skin in his chest somewhere, and then that computer communicates with the car. And this is super, like, sci-fi stuff. Uh, it's really interesting because it's, uh, you know, it, it, this has a lot of applications outside of cars. Uh, obviously, as a car enthusiast, this is incredibly, incredibly cool. Uh, and give someone uh, like uh, Herman the ability to drive not just any car, but a freaking race car. It's a they have this equipped in a full NASCAR vehicle, um, and uh, Furniture Row uh, donated the vehicle to this uh, program. By the way, so uh, very very cool stuff. Now I'm going to play a quick sound clip from Herman here, uh, kind of explaining what he does. Check this out. It's unbelievable, like to think about being in the car, especially that fast, to be in it and just watch how you go through the track smoothly and it responds to what you think. It's just incredible. So the project is a uh, is the brainchild, you could say, I guess, I guess pun intended, of a neurosurgeon by the name of Dr. Scott Fauci, F-A-L-C-I, not to be confused with Dr. Fauci, F-A-U. CI. But anyway, what what he does is he implanted a microchip chip into uh, Herman's brain that is able to detect the brain waves that happen when you open and close your hand. So what Herman has to do is he has to imagine opening and closing his fist. Um, now, even though he can't physically do that, the brain is still sending the signal to do that. And that's what this chip picks up on. So when he closes his fist, that signals the car through the computer that's connected to the chip uh, to accelerate. And then when he opens his fist, it lets off the accelerator. And then how he steers the car is also pretty interesting because he's wearing a helmet that has a set of trackers on it that are tracked by a camera inside the car. So he turns his head left and right and the camera picks up on that movement and turns the steering wheel left or right. And then if he tilts his head forward or back, that can engage uh, how hard he wants to push on the brakes. And he's able to go around the entire track, the Pikes Peak International Raceway, which, again, has this big oval course and it has an infield section. I don't know if they took the car on the infield section, but I know the track really well. In fact, that was the uh, racetrack I was going to be at this weekend if it wasn't for the... Uh, foot of snow that I'm currently trying to dig myself out of in May of all things. I know. Right. But that said, um, you know, that's 
a super cool use of the technology. And and looking at the car, the car is no slouch. I mean, it is a full-on NASCAR donated by the Furniture Row NASCAR team. And this is all happening out of Denver. The uh, Falke Adaptive Motorsports, that's out of Denver. Furniture Row, the NASCAR team, also out of Denver. And uh, the car's got 850 horsepower. Now, it's been modified to accommodate all of the scientific equipment, all of the controls, the electronic controls to allow the car to be steered one way or the other, to have electronic uh, throttle input, all of these different things. The car has been modified to be able to do that. And they also modified the uh, roll cage section to uh, allow uh, people to get in and out of the car a little more easily. NASCARs traditionally aren't the easiest thing to get into even when you do have use of all of your uh, limbs. So they had to... uh, they had to modify that so they could get folks in and out of the car so they could drive it. And uh, But it's just a super cool project. I think it's fantastic. Uh, obviously, Herman was very happy that he was able to drive the car. And I, I think this is cool because it is not just the technology that allows someone... Uh, you know, with a spinal cord injury to drive a race car. I mean, it's not just that. That part is great because, you know, as a motorsports enthusiast, we want to get as, you know, we want to get as many people into motorsports as possible. And obviously, this gets folks who might not otherwise have been able to do it into it. And that is phenomenally cool. I love that. But what's also neat about this technology is it can be applied to things other than race cars. It can be applied to all sorts of stuff. I mean, you know, the goal here, you know, the goal from a scientific perspective and what the, you know, the the doctor, the neurosurgeon uh, said, and as well as other people on the team, the goal is to use this technology to get folks walking again. And then maybe they won't need to have the chip communicate with the car. The chip's going to get things done for them so they could just get in under their own power and drive the car. That's that's like the ultimate goal right there, obviously. So, uh, And this has uh, huge ramifications for just technology in general. I mean, you know, even Elon Musk is working on this sort of stuff. If it's crazy and weird and expensive, that guy usually has his hands in it too, and he's working on his own technology that's also very, very similar. But I think it's just fantastic being able to see this, especially on a local level, uh, you know, here where I'm at and I'm able to be here and this hasn't got much national press, but I'm able to be here and see this stuff that happens uh, right in my own backyard and give that to you. And, you know, you could be listening anywhere in the world, which is great. I, I again, I love that I have listeners in Sweden and Lithuania and you, you guys know who you are. I'm just saying I, I love that. And being able to share this is uh, super cool. So anyway, there you go. Now, hey, by the way, I want to thank you for joining me on this edition of the show and give you a reminder of uh, that the show schedule is changing ever so slightly. Patreons on Sunday, regular subscribers on Monday. I think that's going to be a very good move overall and uh, hope you enjoy it as well. Of course, you can find this podcast wherever fine shows and, you know, this one are downloaded. And uh, I mean, you, you know how to download a podcast. You're listening to it already. What could I say? And you can also catch this show on the radio, 91.7 KLZR, Saturdays in Southern Colorado. Now, I will see you same time, same place next week right here when I meet Mel Brooks on a spaceship. I'll see you then.